0: this one makes sense. It is early in the morning. The sun is just getting ready to come up. There is that kind of stillness in the air. The birds are just starting to make noise that is so transcendently beautiful and wonderful and makes it so clear that life is a gift, that time is not a resource or a scarce commodity. It is a gift that I wanted to talk with you about worshiping God. And I wanted to do it in this moment, in this place, in this setting We were meant to make a difference, and that's a really good thing. That's a drive that God has put in us. But it's just a dim reflection of the fact that life itself is meaningful, and we want to be part of that meaning. That life itself is about a great contribution, a great gift, and we also want to be contributors. We also want to be givers. And all of that really starts with worship. It starts with not what will I do, but what have I received from God and how to express the kind of praise and gratitude and wonder and awe and mystery and joy that I was made to. So, I want to read for you first uh, words from David Foster Wallace. He was a brilliant writer, not a person of faith, but he wrote, uh, he gave a famous commencement address at Kenyon College, and this is part of what he said. In the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there is no such thing as atheism. The only choice we get is what to worship. And an outstanding reason for choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship, uh, be it Jesus Christ or Allah or Yahweh or the wicked Mother Goddess or the Four Noble Truths or some infrangible set of ethical principles, is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things... If they are what you tap real meaning of uh, of life, if they're where you uh, tap real meaning of life, then you'll never have enough. Never feel you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally plant you. On one level, we all know this stuff already. It's been codified in myths, cliches bromides epigrams parables the skeleton of every great story the trick is the trick is the trick is keeping the truth up front in daily consciousness worship power you will feel weak and afraid you will need even more power over others to keep the fear at bay worship your intellect being seen as smart you will end up feeling stupid a fraud always on the verge of being found out The insidious things about these forms of worship is not that they're evil or sinful. It is that they are unconscious. They are default settings. They're the kind of worship you just gradually slip into day after day, getting more and more selective about what you see and how you measure your value without ever being fully aware that that's what you're doing. In the scriptures, particularly the Old Testament, there's a lot of talk about idolatry. And sometimes we can think of it only in terms of statues and practices and traditions and beliefs that seem very foreign to us. But the truth is, as Calvin said a long time ago, the human heart is an idol factory. The question is not if you will worship, the question is what you will worship. And that which we worship will eat us alive if we worship anything other than the God who wants to generously love. So that leads to another really chilling setting that I wanted to tell you about as we think about worship for a few moments. And then we're going to actually spend a little time to worship God together. This is from Kent Dunnington's remarkable book, Addiction and Worship. He has a whole chapter, or Addiction and Virtue, but he's got one chapter in it that's called Addiction and Worship. Here's what he writes. Several years ago, a friend who had worked his way through graduate school as a paramedic told me about one of his more grisly experiences on the job. He received an anonymous call reporting that a heroin addict was on the verge of death in an abandoned apartment building. When he got to the apartment, the man was huddled in a corner, shivering and unresponsive, surrounded by piles of rotten trash, used syringes, lighter spoons, all the paraphernalia of heroin addiction. When I asked what the experience was like, my friend related that it was terrifying, but that he also thought it was probably the first time he fully understood what worship looks like. When I ultimize a value, a good in my life, so that I'm prepared to give it everything that I have, that's worship. Kent goes on. Worship, let us say, is right relationship with God. Worship is not restricted to the sanctuary or the prayer chapel, nor is it restricted to the morning quiet time or to bedtime prayers. Rather, worship names the possibility that human persons may experience and live their days as an expression of their relationship with God. When we put the matter this way, we begin to see that worship is a mystery. Exactly what does it mean to prepare a meal or to mow the lawn? Or to take an exam, or to spend a few moments talking into a camera as an expression of one's relationship with God. Nancy and I got to go this week to an event at Stanford honoring Bob and Dottie King, part of our Fellowship of the Withered Hand, for extraordinary service and here people whose lives had been changed by folks like Bob and Dottie, people that live all around the world because of their concern for things like, how do we lift people out of poverty? And one of the things that Bob said was, what animates us, he told this group at Stanford, is our Christian faith and the simple command to love thy neighbor. And, and nothing more than that, to love the neighbor is an act of worship, And it can be on a vast scale, as it occasionally is for folks, but it can be on a very small scale, whatever scale that you live on. So now, in the stillness of these moments, I want to invite you to worship. And I think of so many in this moment, just looking into the lens, struggling with what's happening in your body, or what's happening in your family, or what's happening in your work, or what's happening in your anxious heart. Now we pause, and I want to invite you to worship. The psalmist puts it like this, Bless the Lord, O my soul. So do that now. Even if you're not sure there is a God out there, just take a moment to practice worship, to try worship. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, praise his holy name, who forgives your sins and heals your diseases, who redeems my life from the pit, who satisfies me with good things. God, in this moment, I am not preoccupied with my day, not carrying the burden of outcomes or things that I'm worried about, not pressed down by all the things I think I have to do. In this moment, I remember again that my life, my body, my mind, my identity, my work, my play, my clothes, are all a gift from you. Thank you that you woke me up this morning and that you prepared a world like this for me to wake up to. And now, God, may I love my neighbor today as an act of worship. Would you show me how to prepare meals as an act of worship and how to mow the lawn as an act of worship, how to drive a car as an act of worship, Don't let me worship anything, God, that will eat me alive. I will seek to give you my worship all through this day. We together bless you for being a good God. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us here at becomenew.me. If you'd like to receive the daily emails that go along with each video, let us know at becomenew.me at gmail.com. Or if you want prayer, you can text us at 855-888-0444.